but oh, two weeks ago, we started the conversation of Jesus and Nicodemus, and I tried to emphasize that Nicodemus had a really good religion, okay? And what Jesus was calling him to was not just a better religion or a different religion, um, because Nicodemus already had a really good religion. He did all the right things. He did it to a T. He memorized scripture. He went to synagogue more than you go to church. He did it better than us. But what Jesus was calling him to was to be born again. That the transformation that he needed was in his heart, in his life, that he needed something spiritual inside that was deeper than just a new or better religion. We also pointed out that Nicodemus acknowledged the power of God, right? When he came to Jesus, he said, teacher, we know that you come from God because nobody can do what you do unless God is with him. So he acknowledges the power of God, but in that call of Jesus saying, I tell you, you must be, do not marvel that I say it, you must be born again. He's saying, it's not enough to observe the power of God. It's not enough to acknowledge the power of God out there, but it is to invite the Holy Spirit into our lives to make us new. Flesh gives birth to flesh. Spirit is what gives birth to spirit. So he's not just an observer of it or acknowledging the power of God, but say, I need to be born again. I need to be made new by the Spirit of God. Last week, looking at Nicodemus, um, we see that Jesus says, why don't, you under these, why don't you understand these things? Well, aren't you a teacher of Israel? How come you don't get this? How am I going to tell you about heavenly things if you don't understand earthly things? And then he goes and he tells the story from Numbers chapter 21 about Moses. When Moses lifts up this, the bronze serpent on the pole, that anyone that would look upon the serpent uh, would be saved, right? We, we read that story from Numbers chapter 21. And how the Son of Man, how Jesus came down, that he descended, that no one can ascend up to heaven, but yet the Son of Man, only the Son of Man could come down. And as he comes down, he's telling him heavenly things. He's telling him spiritual things. He's telling him the deep things of salvation that he must be born again. And he did it because God so loved the world that he sent his only son to come down and to do all that. So today we continue to read. Last week we stopped in verse 16. Let's read verse 16 again and let's go to verse 21. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment the light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be cleanly, clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Let's pray before we continue on. Jesus, thank you again for this morning. I thank you, God, for this gathering that it's not just a Sunday event of a bunch of Christians. 
It's not just a Sunday Christian club where we come together and feel good about things. But it's God's people. It's your people. Born again, born, made new by the Holy Spirit, gathering together to commune with the God of the universe. I thank you for this moment. I thank you for this opportunity. God, please open up our eyes to the glory of Christ Jesus. Open up our eyes to the darkness of our heart. God, allow us, give us the ability to let the light shine into those dark places that we would love light and not darkness, that we would have a belief that is true and not phony, that we would have a belief that is marked by true living. And so God, move us today. Make us alive together with Christ. We love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot in this text today. We could actually spend a couple of weeks just in these few verses. And when it's such a familiar passage of Scripture, there's always a warning that I like to give, okay? When you read verses that are familiar to you, and there is no verse that is more familiar than John 3.16, I want you to guard yourself from checking out. I'll try to tell some really good stories to keep you engaged today, but I'm just kidding. That's not enough, okay? Do not check out from the Word of God this morning. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God's great love for us so visibly shown in the sending of Jesus Christ. And we know that story so well. The gospel writer John, he speaks of light and of love so much throughout his gospel. And actually, in through uh, his other letters as well, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, like 1st John is all layered with the love of God, that God is love, and anyone who has been born of God knows God because God is love. Ran into a great uh, quote from D.A. Carson this week in his commentary on the book of John. It says, more than any other New Testament writer, John develops a theology of love, uh, of the love relations between the Father and the Son, and makes it clear As applied to human beings, the love of God is not the consequence of their loveliness, but of the sublime truth that God is love. Did you guys get that? That John develops this theology of love, and he starts with the relationship between the Father and the Son, and he makes it clear that when it's applied to humans, when it's applied to us, when it's applied to his church, that the love of God is not a consequence of our loveliness. It's pretty interesting. It means that God's love, God's love for you is not because of you. It means that God's love for you isn't dependent on you and how good you are or right you are, how lovely you are. It's simply because of his sublime truth, his, sublime, his beautiful nature that God is love. There's a lot of freedom in that statement. That should energize us to live all the more beautifully, all the more fully to the glory of the one who loves me, not because I'm lovely. We'll talk about this at length over the next few months when we look at other parts of John, but we must understand that wonderful reality that God so loved the world and it wasn't because the world was so awesome. What's the best gift you ever got? 
You think of any really good gifts that you've gotten? I have a beautiful guitar that I play here on Sunday mornings sometimes, and I received it as a 40th birthday present from my wife and a bunch of my friends. They all chipped in together, a bunch of people from church, they all chipped in together, and that's one of the best gifts I've ever gotten. It's just beautiful. I love it. It's like my baby, except I have four babies. I love you guys more than my guitar, I promise. <laughs> I also remember as a kid, I had this aunt and uncle, and my, the uncle was my godfather. We, we grew up Catholic. I have a godfather and a, grand, and a godmother. It's not like Vito Corleone, not that kind of godfather, just, a, just an old farmer guy who was my godfather. But they gave the best gifts. I remember when I was like 11, he gave me a shotgun. Like, that's, that's pretty awesome to have a shotgun when you're that young. Um, but I also remember that they gave me, this was back when I was much younger, an Atari 2600, okay? That's just showing you how old I am. Okay, this was before Nintendo and all of that stuff. It was the hottest video game system ever. It was awesome, right? The best gifts you've ever gotten, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave a beautiful gift. But not just a beautiful gift, the very best gift. When you look at the Greek phrase, one and only son, when you look at that in the original language, it indicates that the giving, that the gift, that the love is so great that he gave the best. It wasn't just he gave his son. It wasn't just that he gave the firstborn son. He gave his one and only son. That is the costliest thing a father could ever give his, anybody, anything. He gave his best that anyone could ever offer. And that gift in return, Jesus himself, gave his best. He gave his all. He gave every ounce of himself, as we sang about this morning, poured out on the cross for you and me. So the Father gave his best in sending the Son, and the Son gave his best in giving his life for us. And in response to that, we live lives of belief. We live lives that believe, that worship. We're going to talk about that at length this morning. The Father sent the Son, and that Son was lifted up on a pole, just like that bronze serpent in Numbers 21. Lifted up on the cross, he gave his best, he gave his all, that anyone would look upon him would not perish but have eternal life. Why did Jesus come? Jesus came. Think about it. You, were you ever in a classroom that was really rowdy and they had to send in the principal? Like the teacher just couldn't get you squirrels under control and so they had to bring in the big guns. They had, like, they had to go get the principal and send in the principal. Or uh, like if you ever had trouble at home and, and your mom's like, you just wait until your father gets home. I'm going to send your, go to your room. I'm going to send in your father. Right? Wasn't that Jesus was just sent in to be the big gun? Right? He didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come just to be that hammer because the world was so unlovely, but because God so loved the world, he sent his son that whoever believes in him would what? Not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, it's funny because my brother has uh, in Greek a phrase from verse 17 tattooed on his back. 
He's not here right now, so I can talk about him. The world through him might be saved. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that when the world would look upon him, behold him, see him, if they experience the new birth by the Holy Spirit, that they would behold Jesus as the Christ, look upon him, and find life eternal. Jesus came to tell about and to establish his kingdom. To, that we would know what the kingdom of God is like. That we would know who will see the kingdom of God. Jesus came to gather his sheep. That those that would hear his voice, his sheep would know that voice and they would follow him. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to reveal the glory and the nature of God to show the world what real love was. He came to be the light in the life of mankind. That's a major theme, like we said, of John. Life and light of mankind to shine into the darkest hearts that God might be revealed. As the wind of the Holy Spirit blows over the hearts those who he is choosing that they might see and behold Jesus as the Christ. Jesus as their Savior, the only way to heaven. That word behold has been resonating in my heart over the last couple of weeks. To behold something, right? Just plainly it means to see, but it's deeper than that. It's that you would plainly see, that you would truly see, that you would behold it, that you would hold it at its value, that you would see it and then you would see the worth of it, that you would see the fullest fullness of it. Jesus came to reveal God and it is my prayer that we would behold him as such. Let's go back and look at John chapter 1 just a little bit and you can see a little bit more of why Jesus came. The Word, right? Jesus, the Word. Verse 9 says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. Thank you, Jesus. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Jesus has come in his advent, in that first coming. The word became flesh, the logos the eternal one, he has come to reveal who God is. He has revealed the Father, the Almighty God. He has revealed the nature and beauty of God for those who might look upon him and behold him as Lord. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The Greek word there for believes, I think we all have a pretty good understanding of what it means to believe in God. But it's full. I hope you realize just how full that word believe actually of whoever believes in him on the, surface, it, on the surface, it means to believe someone or to believe something that someone said. But when you get in one click, when you get in one notch deeper, it means to put your trust, your complete confidence in someone. Have you ever had someone in your life that was completely trustworthy? Someone that was the most true person you know. Someone that you could tell anything to. Someone you could count on when you needed something. Someone who was always there. Who shows you how they love in beautiful and deep ways. If you are married in this room, this would be a great time to look at your spouse lovingly. <laughs> that you would put your complete trust and confidence in someone. There is something so beautiful about a relationship that intimate where you can be completely vulnerable and know that you are still completely loved. That's the way it is with God. But then when you dig into the lexicons on this Greek word, pastuo, just one notch deeper, the language gets even deeper. It, yes, it means to believe someone or to believe something that they said. It means to put your trust or complete confidence in someone, but then it means to rely on them, to depend on them, to commit your life to them, to believe in, to believe on. And this one I love the best, to cast myself upon them. That's what it means to believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would cast themselves upon him would not perish but have eternal life. To understand our brokenness and our depravity. To have our eyes opened by the Spirit of God that we need the new birth that comes by the Spirit to enable us to cast my all upon him. You see, belief... True belief comes by the renewal of a person, by the renewal of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Belief is not just an observation of facts that resonate with our hearts or our minds. It's not just an observation of a philosophy that we can get behind. This Jesus, he was an awesome teacher. He did all the right things, the kind things, so I'm just going to do what Jesus does and be like Jesus is. But belief comes from something deeper. It's not just an observation of a set of religious regiments that make me seem a little more holy or right. It's a conviction that comes by the Holy Spirit of God himself in the new birth. Belief is the conviction that comes when eyes are opened and we behold Jesus as Lord. You see, Jesus came not to condemn the world, although Scripture is pretty clear. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. In his first coming, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us to reveal God, to reveal the nature of God, to reveal the grace of God, the truth of God to those who are being birthed of God and renewed in God. It is my prayer this morning that that would be us 
in this church that we would have a belief that is true and deep. Not just a mental ascent, not just a surface knowledge in our heads and in our minds, but that we would cast ourselves on the one who is most trustworthy. By the Spirit of God in the new birth, we behold him. We actually see him. We hold him dear. We cherish him as the surpassing worth, and we cast our lives upon him because we believe. And we come into the light, as our text today says, we come into the light, which is Jesus. We believe on his person and on his work, the truthfulness and the reliability of his nature, but also the sufficiency and the fullness of his atoning, redemptive work on the cross. Do you believe? Have you been born again to behold Jesus as the Christ, as Lord? Or are you like Nicodemus, still a blind hypocrite? Before you answer a simple yes, of course, I've been going to church all my life, of course I believe. Would your neighbors be able to answer that question for you? Would your family be able to answer that question for you? Does so-and-so believe? Would your coworkers answer that question for you with an emphatic yes? I know they believe in Jesus. I see it in their lives. I see that they do not walk in darkness any longer. They do not hide their deeds. I see the light of Jesus shining through them. I see that the Holy Spirit has given them new birth and their nature is different and thus their actions, the doing, the loves, their time spent, all of it is different because they've experienced new birth by the Spirit. Would our families and our friends and our coworkers say that of us? That there is a believing that is marked by living? Would our unsaved family and friends be able to look at our lives and definitively say, I know they believe in Jesus because I've seen that they are new, that their life is new, their nature is new, and thus their living is new. So I think in church, we have a very passive and somewhat incorrect understanding of what it means to believe. Like the gift of God, the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ is truly a free gift. We cannot ever earn it or add to it. And so like as we get into this next area of the sermon, I want to be very, very careful that our understanding is true. Okay? I don't want to ever lead you on that anything you do merits your salvation. We are utterly helpless. There's nothing we can do to earn it, nothing we can get... But in our believing, in our faith, okay, that root word is the same of believe and faith. When you see faith in other places in Scripture, it's the same word, the same understanding. In our believing, I don't want to just say words. I don't want to just have some mental assent, but that the working of the Holy Spirit in the new nature in making us new, that we truly would have a life that follows what we believe and what we say. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, Without faith, that's the same root word, it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists 
and he rewards all those who diligently seek him. Again, that faith is the same root word. Without believing, without placing your trust and complete confidence in, without casting your life on God, it is impossible to please God. There's a wonderful beauty, a wonderful reality to this, that God doesn't just want your stuff. He doesn't just want your doing. He doesn't just want your activity, but he wants the very core of you. He wants you, all of you, and he rewards the seeking. Not with things, not with stuff, not with blessings, but with himself. He rewards those who diligently seek him. James chapter 2, verse 14, familiar passage of scripture, hopefully will help us see what it means to believe, what it means to actually have a faith. Verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers? Someone says that he has faith but does not have works. Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. That should terrify us a little bit. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that a faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith, again, faith here, same root word as believe, was active along with his works, and faith was complete by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Well, that's confusing. In the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. But we've got to get this right. We've got to get the order right. Okay? I don't want us to be deceived. I don't want us to be fooled in two regards. That just simply believing without any action is actually saving faith because clearly here in James, it is not saving faith. But I also... Um, I don't want us to be tricked or fooled that we have to do something to earn or merit our salvation. See, the order is, vast, is, is deeply important. I don't want us to be fooled. I don't want us to be deceived. Think about Matthew chapter 7. Um, the wise and foolish builders, right? Wise man built his house upon the rock. Going to sing with me? No, just kidding. Sunday school lessons, right? The rains came tumbling down. You realize when that's speaking, it's speaking about people who hear the word of God and don't do it. Matthew 7, 24. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, okay, hears them, believes, and has action, obedience behind it, will be like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. 
The rains fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house, and it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell, and the great and great was the fall of it. Okay? If you say you have faith, that you believe, and you don't have obedience backing it up, you don't have a, I've casted my life upon you, Jesus, for salvation, but I've also relinquished it all to the glory of your name. When you come encounter with Christ, he calls you to follow him, and he says, abandon it all. But I gotta go bury my dad. Let the bed bury, them, bury themselves. But, but this, but that, but, but no. Drop everything and follow. Behold me as the surpassing worth. There is nothing greater. Have your eyes opened by the Spirit of God. Receive the new birth and salvation and believe with a belief that lays it all down before him. If not, we're building we're building, we're building. And someday, it's going to all come tumbling down. I had someone pray over me this week. They actually asked for prayer. And so I was able to pray with them. And somebody, and then she's like, can I pray with you too? This is down in Bayview at, at the uh, 10 Days of Terry thing that was happening this week. She just started praying for me, and then she started praying for our church, for Lake Country. She kept praying. She said, God, I just pray that you would wake up the sleepy people. There was an element of it. Like, that has been in my prayers now for months. It was almost like this kind of prophetic moment where she's like, wake up the sleepy people. And then as I'm looking at this text further this week, and I'm going, okay, maybe we have a lot of people that say they believe, but are really fooling themselves that they've just been relying on what they've done and maybe not being transformed by the Spirit of God and then boldly getting out there and living it to the glory of Christ Jesus. As I look at this, I don't want to get it backwards because works and deeds, they, they're either fruitful worship flowing out of a heart and life that's been born of the Spirit of God or those works then become self-righteous religious pursuit of self-justification, which will just come crumbling down. We can't get it backwards. Jesus came, sent by the Father, not to condemn the world, but to save the world. The light has come to reveal the nature of God and the way of salvation and all who would believe, all who have been born again of the Spirit of God, who have a true believing, marked by true living, they will have eternal life. Do you believe? Does your life show it? Have you cast yourself upon your Savior? One day Christ will come again, and this time he will come to judge. The Bible is clear about that. He will come to judge the living and the dead. And unfortunately and overwhelmingly, what we will be judged by is our deeds, it says, 
2 Corinthians, Revelation, various places throughout Scripture, that they will be judged according to what they have done. And again, it's not that what we have done will merit our salvation, but what we have done, the acts, the deeds, the things that we have done, will actually say that our believing is true or not. And so as we conclude, I don't want us to sit in the service today and just feel bad about ourselves that we haven't done enough for Jesus. If you got that out of this message, I'm so sorry because that's not what I'm trying to do. I don't want you to feel bad that you haven't done enough for Jesus. Okay? There's nothing you can do. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe, right? He did it all. It is finished. Yeah, yeah. Is that what we're saying? It is finished. It's all finished, completed in him. Is our believing marked, is our faith marked with the living indicative that we've been made new? Have we come into the light? Have those deeds been exposed? Have we laid them bare before our God? See, we can't do enough. We'll never be able to earn his love because we are not lovely his love for us is true, everlasting, unending, but it's not because of us, it's because of him. That's what's so amazing. He loves us, he sent his son, and whoever believes. If you feel convicted of the Holy Spirit today, that your life isn't markedly different, that your life might be a bit too ingrained in this world right now, I would implore you to repent and turn from it. The call today is to not simply be better and to do better, to try better, and to try to get out there and do it more, but to ask for renewal by the Spirit of God, that we would invite the Holy Spirit into our lives, that we would be born again by the Spirit of God and then that we would walk by that Spirit daily not gratifying the desires of our flesh but keeping in step with that Spirit that our nature would change that our desires would change and thus our lives would change and that our believing would be true and we would have eternal life in Christ my prayer for us today. Do you believe? Is your life marked? Is the living of your life marked? Is there evidential that there has been new birth? If it's not, the answer is not okay. Now just try harder. The answer is, Holy Spirit, come. Make me new. If you have been new, if you have been made new, if maybe you've been a believer for a while and you've just gotten into a funk, you're just in a rut, maybe you're just complacent and lazy, stop it. Repent. Ask for the Holy Spirit to renew you again so that your believing would be marked by your living, that your faith and your deeds would be true. Holy Spirit, come. I pray that you would empower us to respond to you today, that you would enable us to be honest with you and ourselves today, 
where repentance is needed. God, give us the boldness and humility to repent where encouragement is needed. God, minister to us by your Holy Spirit. God, for those that might be just outside of Christ, that they've never put their faith in Jesus, God, today draw them to yourself and let them have a belief in a faith that is true. God, that we would celebrate eternal life because you love us so. We thank you for this morning. Continue your work in us, we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand up. Let's sing together. And I would encourage you, okay, this isn't checkout time. This isn't like, okay, now we sing our one last song and we get out of here. Do some business with the Holy Spirit. If you need prayer, there'll be some folks in the back corner ready to pray for you, ready to pray with you. Um, but let's ask for the Holy Spirit to renew us in him today. Let's worship.